Wow, I'm one of the pastors here, and just want to say welcome, just like Eddie said just a little bit earlier, if it's your first time, uh, yeah, you're a guest with us, and just encourage you to fill out a connect card, just a way for you to make your presence known, um, and you can fill that out and drop it off in the giving baskets, it's going to be passed here in just a second, if you need a little bit longer, uh, you can drop it off, there's a little um, kind of wooden box out there with a little hole, you can drop it in there, uh, we would just love to get to know you and come alongside and help you in any way we possibly can, so I'm going to ask our ushers to come and collect our giving. And just a reminder, man, we don't uh, expect you to give if you're a first-time guest here. No, no pressure here. There's no cameras watching to see who's not giving. Just, uh, uh, we pray that this service and your time with us is a real gift and a blessing. Uh, but if you're a regular member and a tender, uh, may you continue to give and give generously. It's just a way for us to, um, yeah, remind ourselves of the generosity of God. And we do this every week by practicing our own generosity and how we uh, give to the ministry in the church here. So, yeah, if you've got a Bible, encourage you to grab it and turn to Matthew uh, chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, passage is in the bulletin. It's at the very end. It's bolded. Uh, so that's where we're going to be at, verses 24 to 29. Passage will be on the screen also. So as you're going there, remind you of a couple things. Number one, uh, uh, today we're, after today, we're putting a little pause on our series through Matthew. Remember, we're kind of working through this for about a year and a half. So we're going to put a pause, and in the summer, we're going to spend um, a, a, a month kind of in e- Esther, Easter, <laughs> month in Easter, a uh, month in Esther, and uh, spend about six weeks in the book of Daniel. Uh, great little books that I, I think kind of really help us as, we, as we're working through the book of Matthew. And so if you are a reader, or even if you're not a reader, I want to encourage you to be a reader. Uh, if you're going to the beach or the lake, or if you get any time off, I'd encourage you to pick up this book by Mike Cosper. Uh, who's one of our pastors. He serves as a uh, non-staff pastor at our East Congregation, was one of our founding pastors. Uh, He has wrote a really, really good book that deals with the book of Esther. Uh, It's called Faith Among the Faithless, Learning from Esther, How to Live in a World Gone Mad. Um, And so if you want to kind of work through something over the summer, this is a great one. Uh, If your group is kind of like in different rhythms over the summer, this is a good little book to kind of, um, you know, kind of give some consistency with you. So you'll, you'll hear a lot from me coming out of that book, uh, because it's been a real blessing to me in kind of understanding Esther and getting new light to it. Uh, we have those at our little book wall. I don't know what we're calling that thing out there, but you know what I'm talking about, the bookshelves. Um, yeah, I think they're like $13, and we're not getting any kickback on that. That's like, like There's no profit sharing there. Uh, we're just helping a local bookstore uh, by buying it through that. If you want to go to Amazon, no judgment. You can. Uh, I think I actually bought some of mine from Amazon, so, you know, judgment back on me. Uh, but if you want it today, you can run out there and, and get one of those. Uh, highly recommend it. It's a great little book. Second thing, uh, we are wanting and planning on launching 10 new groups uh, by the end of this year. Uh, we are in desperate need of uh, creating more group space. The majority of our groups are way too full and have about a million kids in them. You know, I think like 3,000 is the average in each group. Um, and it's obviously hyperbole. Uh, but it's a, there are a lot of kids in there. And so uh, we are desperately needing to launch and start uh, 10 new groups and want to by the uh, end of this year, 1st of 2020. And so if you have interest in leading a group, if you have interest in hosting a group, if you just want to kind of have more interest in what we're trying to do with group, maybe you've been in group life for a few months and you're going like, 
what's the vision here? Where are we going? I'm telling you, this is a really good weekend for you to be a part of. So it's called boot camp, which isn't the best thing. We're not going to make you go outside and, and do some weird stuff. But this is just a way for you to know and be trained up as a leader. It's kind of the first step into leadership. If you're going to host a home, it kind of helps you understand what the leader's trying to do and what we're trying to do as a church uh, with a uh, community group. And so if you can make it, it's a weekend, uh, June 7th and 8th. Uh, a Friday evening, Saturday morning, you can go to that little uh, link there and you can get signed up and uh, be a part of this great weekend. Really uh, want to encourage you, man. And you can be praying for us. We desperately need uh, to start about 10 new groups so that we can, um, yeah, continue to step into the mission that we believe God's called us to do uh, within group life. Can't do it with 50 adults. It's like a little church, right? I mean, it really is. 50 adults and 400 kids. Just, just hard to do that in a home. Amen? So... And hopefully some of the group leaders in here are going, amen. I feel that, man, every week. It's brutal. So, uh, yeah, encourage you to step into that. All right? So, stand with me in honor of reading God's word. Matthew chapter 7. We're at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is how Jesus ends his sermon. And so we're starting in verse 24. Hear the word of the Lord. So therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and it collapsed with a great crash, period. That's the end of the sermon. You know what I'm saying? It's like, drop the mic, I'm done. And this is what they said in verse 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like the scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, let's pray together. And as we pray, um, I want to make you aware of something. I'm going to encourage you guys to pray with me on this. Um, we've lost a, 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 someone, a part of our sojourn family. Uh, he's a lead pastor at a church in uh, Chicago. Uh, his name is Kevin Galloway. That's his wife, Davina. Uh, Kevin died in a tragic car accident Friday morning. Um, got hit head on, and so, um, uh, yeah, Kevin Galloway is his name. That's a picture they just took uh, a few weeks ago at our Sojourn Network retreat, and so you can, um, uh, yeah, be praying for them, uh, praying for their church, um, praying for his wife. They have three grown children, and just uh, can't imagine uh, kind of loss and mourning and um, how this church is feeling this morning as they're uh, trying to navigate this together as a family. So that, his name was Kevin Galloway. Um, he was just here a few weeks ago speaking at our New Albany congregation. Uh, my wife and I sat beside them um, at the dinner that we had Thursday night um, at that retreat. So, so yeah. So I'm just going to pause for a second so I can kind of gather myself, all right? Um, and I want to encourage you guys to pray for his wife, Davina, they have three adult children. I'm sorry, I forgot, to, didn't write their names, but obviously God knows their names. And, um, and pray for their church. It's called Christ Church there in Chicago. So, so just give us a few minutes, do that to yourself, and I'll pray us out of it.
Father, we give thanks for Kevin's life and his ministry and his presence and the impact and influence that he had on his, his family and with his church and with many people um, that live in the Chicago area that had relationships with, with Kevin. And God, we, we mourn and weep and grieve with them and just pray for your spirit's help for his wife and his three children as they're trying to figure out what life is going to be like without their dad and their husband. God, please help this church as they navigate a really, really difficult season. can imagine the hole and the pain they feel this morning, God. So please help. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So I think all of us would agree with this. I think tragedies like this, um, like the, the quick sudden passing of Kevin Galloway, which are happening all the time. I'm saying this is, this is, these kind of tragedies are happening like daily. But we only get aware of them, you know, when it happens to someone that we know well, that we have a relationship well. And usually what happens in these, these kind of, moments is it it does take us a second to step back and, and, and kind of evaluate our own life it makes us ask questions like what in the world is my life about what am I what am I doing here why am I here it 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 has a way of like causing us to ask some weighty questions that we don't normally ask in everyday life because the busyness of life kind of pushes these questions to the peripheral, and we just go day to day. You know what I'm saying? I got to get through today. Well, I think, in part, this is, this is um, what Jesus is doing here at the end of his sermon. I think he's wanting us to stop and really ask some questions about your own life. What are you living for? What's your life really about? Who are you? I mean, Jesus is... The best teacher that have ever, ever walked on the face of this earth. He's brilliant. And so at the end of his sermon, he, um, he gives us these images, doesn't he? These pictures. He doesn't just give us like these propositional statements. He gives us pictures, metaphors for us to, to think on and reflect upon that has something to say about our own lives. So he gives us these two roads, right? We talked about that last week, this wide road that leads to destruction and this narrow road that's hard and difficult that leads to life. He gives us this picture of these two prophets or kind of two different kinds of trees that are bearing, bearing you know, different kinds of fruit. And, and then now we kind of see uh, sort of this climactic. I mean, this is, the, this is the, you know, drop the mic moment. Like he's leading the entire sermon up to this picture here of, of two houses, of two builders. And he's... He's kind of contrasting for us uh, two ways of responding to all that Jesus said. There's a wise way to respond to all that he said here, and then there's a, a foolish way. And so all I want to do this morning um, is I, I feel like all I'm doing is really stating the obvious. That's what I'm doing. I'm like, like, these are not profound things I'm going to lay before. It's like, woo, where'd you find that? It's not that at all. I, I'm going to state the obvious because I think uh, what we have a tendency to do with this is we, 
we move the obvious aside because we want something more. And I want to state kind of a, two truths that are really here that are very obvious for us to see. So the first thing that we need to see from this text is this, is that every single one of us in this room is building our lives on something. Every single one of us in this room is building our lives on something. I mean, that's what Jesus is getting after here in verse 24. So he says, a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26, the foolish man built his house on the sand. So this idea of building a house is kind of a metaphorical way of talking about our own lives. And all of us are building our lives on some kind of foundation, some kind of belief about life, about meaning, about morality, about marriage, about money, about success, about sexuality, about family, about death, and about eternity. All of us have some kind of belief that we're building our lives upon. But here's the reality for all of us in this room, most of us in this room. We, we don't necessarily um, recognize these or categorize these. And what I mean by that, it's not like if I would show up or just come to you this morning and say, hey, tell me what you're building your life upon. Some of you might be able to articulate some stuff, but a lot of us are going to go, oh, yeah, 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 here we go. Maybe not like that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's kind of like you don't ever think about it. It's not like you carry around the card. Here it is. Number one, I built my life on this, this, this. No, these are, these are beliefs that you've sort of, um, I don't know if adopt is a good word, but through your family of origin, through your own circumstances, through church, uh, through media, through involvement in culture, I mean, personal experiences, all of these are kind of shaping and forming sort of a foundational belief that you're building your life on. And most of us are operating on these uh, kind of subconsciously. We're not thinking about them. We're just kind of living and we we really think that if I can order my life around these sort of beliefs, even though I can't fully articulate them or categorize them. I'm kind of living out of them subconsciously. But if I can order myself around these beliefs, then I'm going to enter into what brings happiness and goodness and settledness, and I'm going to get the good life, right? All of us are there. No one's, no one's after living a life that's going to collapse, right? It's like, I want to destroy my life, right? That's my game. And nobody thinks for like no one laughing, but no one is after that. No one's doing that. We all have these sort of beliefs that we're building our life on that if I can live these out, then I'm going to be happy. So if, so if everyone is building their life on something, then how can I know what I'm building my life on? Because that's hidden. Are, are you following me? On the surface, both homes look the same. The only difference was their foundation, and you can't see the foundation. So how do I know if I'm building my life on that, will, that which will help me stand, or if I'm building my life upon that which will cause me to collapse? Well, look what Jesus says here. Look at verse 25. And he repeats the same phrase. In verse 27, the rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about here when he's kind of giving us a picture of like a hurricane, right? That's what it kind of seems like, this massive weather storm that's going on here. What is he, what is he talking about? Well, most people say there's a couple things here he's talking about. One is he's talking about judgment. 
that where all of life, all of history is headed to a point where all of us in this room, all of humanity will stand before God and give an account for our life. That's judgment. And we see that in the context. And these three pictures and metaphors, primarily looking at the end here is what we're talking about. We also see it in the Old Testament, this imagery over and over about you know, rivers rising and storms and whatever that's always kind of an, uh, a metaphor to the end when we would stand before God and give an account to our life. So that's one kind of understanding here. A second one is, is more of what we might be more familiar with, and that is just the sufferings and the difficulties and the pains of life. And so what I want to offer to you is that we don't have to necessarily separate these and figure out which one Jesus is exactly talking about. I think he's talking about both. Because I would say that the storms and difficulties and the pains of life are kind of like dress rehearsal for the final storm. Because whenever we deal with pain or suffering, it reminds us of a couple of things or it shows us a couple of things. Number one, it reminds us of our own mortality. It reminds us that all that we have is a gift from God. My, my, my talents, my abilities, my place in life, my possessions, my careers, what my relationships, all of those are sort of on loan from God. And whenever we're confronted with pain, difficulty, suffering, it, it reminds us of our own mortality. So like, you know, case in point, you know, I get a, you know, a message that Kevin Galloway is killed instantly in a, in a car crash. In that moment, I'm not thinking about, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? No one is. No one in that church this morning is going, hey, where are we going to do lunch? Every single one of them in that church and even us today are confronted with the reality that we're going to die that we're going to perish. That everything we have is going to be gone. That's what happens in suffering. It wakes us up to what is real. <laughs> to what we have a tendency to kind of push to the peripherals and get lost in our day-to-day -day jobs and get lost looking at social media listen to the news, whatever it is that we do with our time. But not only does it remind us of our own immortality, suffering has a way of revealing something to us, and I think that's what Jesus is doing here. Suffering has a way of showing us what it is that we're building our lives upon. So how can I know what I'm building my life upon because it's, I can't see it? How do I know if I'm, what, I'm, what foundation am I building my life upon? Simple question is this, how do you respond with suffering how do you respond with difficulty and pain how do you how do you respond when you're overlooked for that promotion and you don't get that job how do you respond when you get a phone call and your doctor tells you something about your your health and it's pretty pretty bad news how do you respond uh, when you don't get to that school that you applied for how do you respond when a boyfriend or girlfriend breaks your heart I mean we think that sounds trivial but it's not trivial it's a big deal for a middle school and high school student and all of us in this room were middle schools and high school students and we hearts were broken right you know what I'm saying like how do you respond to that how do you respond in sickness how do you respond when your marriage is hard or your marriage is ending how do you respond when there's financial hardship all of these are ways 
Suffering, pain, difficulty have a way of revealing to us what I'm building my life on. So if I find myself spiraling downward and spinning out when difficulties come, then what Jesus is telling us is that it's showing you something about what you're building your life on. If my relationship with Jesus is determined and dictated based on how my circumstances are doing, and it's fluctuating all over the place, then Jesus is revealing something to us that we might be building our life upon something that we don't realize we're building it upon. All of us are building our lives on something and suffering shows us what we really value, what we really love, what we really desire. So look, I mean, before we move on to the second thing, because these all go together here, I just want to stop and I think Jesus would go like, all right, I'm putting the question back in your, in your lap. What are you building your life on? Remember, we said this last week, but it's always good for us to remember this. Look, he's not talking about the people that are at the lake right now. Which, if we're all being honest, we'd like to be at the lake right now, amen? Right? Some of us would, maybe. He's talking about every single one of us in this room. He's talking about church people. That you could be building your life on something that you don't even realize you're building it on. Just because you rolled in here this morning does not mean you're building your life on the rock. And Jesus doesn't want you to be surprised. He's very kind to us. That suffering comes as even the grace of God, even that sounds very weird to say that, but it is. It's the grace of God that helps you see what you cannot see right now. So all of us are building our lives on something. And so just like I said, I'm making a massive assumption this morning, and that massive assumption is this, is that you don't want to build your life on something that's going to cause you to collapse, right? You don't want your story to end the way Jesus ends his sermon. Their life collapses, and it was a great crash. I mean, how depressing, right? That's not ending the sermon on a high note at all. It's like, and they had a great crash. Boom, done. And he just walked away. Imagine if I'm there, I'm going, Jesus, what? give me some more, something else. You know, it's like, what do you mean, right? Like, I need a little bit more. No, he just ends it like that. And I'm making a massive assumption that that's not what we want with our life. So what's the difference then? How can I know for sure that I'm building my life on something that when the storms come, because they will come, doesn't matter if you're a Christ follower or not, storms will come and they will pound you. And everyone in this room wants to stand we don't want to fall apart. So how? Well, Jesus shows us. Look at verses 24 and 26. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and say it out loud and what? Acts on them. They're going to be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and what? Say it out again. Does not will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So notice, 
They both hear the words of Jesus. They both hear sermons. They both may go and download more sermons during the week and hear those sermons. They both go to Bible studies. A lot of Bible studies. And hear a bunch of Bible studies. But hearing is not enough. The difference is those who hear and act. Those who hear and do. Those who hear and practice. That's the difference. Look, this word that's translated act, do, some translation translated practice these things, it's used 22 times in the Sermon on Mount alone. I'm not a smart guy, but I know this, that whenever you repeat a word, that's kind of a theme, right? It's like, yeah, this is kind of a big deal. 22 times in two chapters, Matthew, Jesus chooses to use this word. I'll give you a sampling. Chapter 6, verse 1, beware of practicing, same word here. Your righteousness before men. Uh, chapter 7, verse 12, the golden rule. Do to others what you would love have them do to you. Same word. Uh, chapter 7, verse 17, which is what we've been looking at the last two weeks. From verses 15 to 27, this word is used eight times. Kind of a big deal, right? So chapter 7, verse 17, every good tree bears. Same word here. Good fruit. Not everyone who says, verse 21, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only who he who does, same word, the will of my Father. And just like I said, the NIV translates this, puts them into practice. So the wise way, the house that stays, the, is the one that hears the words of Jesus, and the words of Jesus are emphasized here. He says, my words. So the ones that hear the words of Jesus, that puts them into practice, they are the ones who stand. What's the difference, Lyle? How can I get to a place where the storms of life are not going to cause me to collapse? It's only those who hear and practice the words of Jesus Christ. That's it. So everyone's building a life on a foundation. The only foundation that will last. The only foundation that will stand are those who hear the words of Jesus and do them. So if you hear these words and you don't do them, you're a fool. Literal translation, you're a moron. That's, what, that's not me. Like, don't come yell at me, right? That's Jesus. If you believe these words and you don't do them, you're building your life on sand. If you hear these words and you combine Jesus' words with someone else's words and you do them, Guess what? Jesus is saying you're building your life on sand. It's my words. That's it. The house that stands and stays is the ones that hear the words of Jesus and puts them into practice. Now, if you've been traveling here long, if you've been here long enough, you know, a few years, you've probably heard me say this over and over, and hopefully... This is kind of rising up in you a little bit, all right? Okay, Lyle, I've heard you say that Christianity is not about what you do. Can you raise your hand if you've ever heard me say that? Awesome. Makes me feel good. At least you've listened to one thing, right, that I've said in almost nine years. So hallelujah. Praise God. Let's just all bow our heads and go on home. Amen? So that makes me feel really good. It's like I'm done, all right? Um, and it seems like here, right, 
Jesus is saying, it's all about what you do. So it sounds like to me, Lyle, you're contradicting Jesus. <laughs> Which that's kind of a big deal. Amen. That's called heresy, right? I can lose my job for being a heretic. Amen. So um, thankful I've only got one pastor in here, right? <laughs> just, but here's the thing, all right? It, like, hear me. I'm not, like, I'm trying to be consistent with what Jesus is saying here and consistent with the whole of Scripture, all right? What Jesus is saying here is not inconsistent with the rest of the New Testament nor the rest of the Bible because Jesus is the primary author of the entire Bible. Nor what Jesus is saying here contradicts the gospel. And so as a reminder, before we kind of dive in so you can better understand what Jesus means here when he says those who hear and do, here's a reminder of the gospel. I quoted this last week. It's what we're kind of sitting under over these last two weeks so we can kind of navigate this this kind of tension that we're, uh, we're understanding and unpacking here. So but here's, here's, the, here's the gospel. The gospel, this good news, right? It's not, it's not advice. The gospel is not self-help. It's an announcement. That's the literal translation of the word gospel in the Greek language. It's an announcement of what's been done. It's not an announcement of what you've got to do. That's not good news. That's crappy news, right? Amen? We've heard that. That doesn't work, all right? The gospel is good news. It's not about something you do, but about what has been done for us. And yet, the gospel results in a whole new way of life. True gospel belief will always and necessarily lead to good works. But salvation in no way comes through or because of our good works. So look, what we see here when Jesus says those whose Life stand and the storms are alive for those who hear and do. What Jesus is after is, is he's giving us a vision that's not just about building our lives on a set of beliefs, which is really important. I'm not saying that's not important. But Jesus is after more than that. He's after a, a deep change with you. He's after what I said last week, wholeheartedness. He wants a wholeness about you that what is going on the outside is also happening on the inside where there's not this massive gap. That's what Jesus wants. He wants an interior world change that is happening to you to where that gap begins to close more and more. He wants a wholeness, an integratedness about your body and soul. That's what Jesus is after. And having just right set of beliefs that you're building your life upon won't do that. You know, sometimes like, and I, man, I, hopefully if you've been with us as we work through the Sermon on the Mount, you haven't heard this. Look, the Sermon on the Mount is not another list of what you got to do in order to get right with God. As if Jesus rolls on the scene and says, hey, the first ten didn't work. Here's another list, right? That's not what's going on here. Because if, look, follow me. If we look at the Sermon on the Mount as another list, then this is what we think needs to happen in order for me to change. Right? Here's the kind of formula that we, we have a tendency to kind of build. If it's just another list for me, for me to have deep transformation, here's that formula. It's information plus inspiration plus perspiration equals transformation. If I'm looking at the Sermon on the Mount as another list, where I'm basically doing this at the end of the day, have I gotten angry? Have I lusted today? 
Have I loved money too much today? Have I harbored bitterness today? That's just a little checklist. And so that mindset translates into this kind of formula. Information. Give me the right information. i got to find the right information. Give me the right information. If I get the right information, oh, summer of the night, right information. i got to have that. i got to find someone who's going to get me fired up about it. Right? That's why I like coming to church. They get me fired up about it. You know, get emotional. Make me cry. Make me laugh. I walk out of here. I'm ready to go. I'm going to try really hard. Perspiration, right? I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to change. Look, I, I don't want to Maybe this is your formula. So I don't want to spoil it for you, but I'm going to give you a heads up. It doesn't work. You can keep trying. Welcome you to, right? But I'm telling you, by personal experience and 25 years of pastoral ministry, that formula never works. And it's not what the Sermon on the Mount is about. The Sermon on the Mount is not... Jesus giving this checklist of moral obligation or these 37 things or so that you must do to enter into the kingdom of God. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus calling and inviting us into a whole new way of seeing that leads to a whole new way of being in this world. That's why the Sermon on the Mount does not start with the, with, the, with the thou shalt nots. What's the Sermon on the Mount start with? Say it out loud. Awesome. Beatitudes, right? It's like a few little mumbers right here. I'm a bad Beatitudes, I think. Yes, it's the Beatitudes. Why? Because he's inviting us into a way of being. That, that mercy comes natural. That forgiveness comes natural. That, that peacemaking comes natural. It's a a whole new way of being. Listen to me. Righteousness is not simply a matter of believing the right things. I'll say that again because I'm telling you, you need to take this down. We live in an overchurched area, and this is what we all think. That righteousness is not simply a matter of believing the right things. Guys, listen to me. I have sat across a table with individuals who believe all the right things, and they're still leaving their families. I've sat across the table with individuals who believe all the right things but are still holding on to bitterness. I've sat across the table with people that believe all the right things but they're angry. They're unkind. You don't want to spend one minute with them. Because it doesn't feel like the presence of Jesus with them. It feels like the presence of the devil for crying out loud. And if Look, guys, look, I'm not the only one. Many of you in this room could say, yeah, I, I, I've sat, sat down with the same person. And they believe all the right things. That's not what Jesus is after. He's after you being in this world in a certain way. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. That's what he's after with this idea of hearing and doing. He's wanting to transform you. Go after your wants and your desires and your loves. He's going after the very core of who you are so it transforms the way you see and the way you be in this world. That's what he means. So if you want to put this in a formula, 
And please hear me, these are not things I'm making up. I, I, I get this from all kinds of people I read, all right? So it's not like, wow, that's awesome. Well, where did you get that? Well, I can tell you where I got it. I didn't get it from my brain. I got it from somebody else's brain. Thank God for that, amen? Uh, Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. So here you go. I'm just embracing other people's work. So here's a way of putting this in a formula. Vision plus the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's a the key plus godly practices. Equals change. Wholeness. Wholeheartedness. That's what we're after. Vision. Jesus has given you a vision of what it looks like to be human in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has given you a vision of the good life. If you want the good life, it's, it's not the easy life. But if you want the good life, here it is. He's given you a vision. Plus the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do this by your willpower. I mean, you try. Good luck. You try to forgive someone that's wounded you really deeply. Genuinely forgive them. Good luck. Willpower, not going to work. How do I get the Holy Spirit? Well, you don't earn the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. And when you receive Christ, by grace, you get this gift for free. It don't never leave you. It's there forever. Because you're a child of God. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, plus, look, look, this is, this is important. Godly practices, which is a way of being. Why is godly practices important? Because they train us to see the world and be in the world in light of who Jesus is and what he has done. You've got to hear me. It's not just vision and the power of the Holy Spirit done. No, it's also godly practices. It's those who hear the words of Jesus and practices them. You've got to train your loves. You've got to train your desires. You've got to train your wants. You've got to reshape them, so to speak. And godly practices is the means by which God gives us to reshape our loves and desires and wants so that we're a whole different person. And we get this, guys, in so many areas of life. But when it comes to faith and Christianity and our relationship with Jesus, we get all weirded out about it. Oh my gosh, this is getting into legalism. I want legalism, man. That just sounds like I'm working for something. You're not working for anything. If you are in Christ, you're God's kid. He loves you bunches. Whether, whether you read your Bible or pray, it's not going to change his love for you. But if if I'm telling you what I want for you and what I want for my own self is that when I come to Christ, I don't want to stay the same. And I don't just want behavior modification. I don't just want to know how to be kind or act a certain way. That's not what I want. I want it to come from here to where it's almost automatic. Just like when you brush your teeth. You don't think about brushing your teeth. You just stick your toothbrush in it. Right? You don't think about it. Got to get the tops. Right? No, you just do it. It's like putting your clothes on. No one thinks about putting their clothes on this morning. How do I do this? Do I go right or left? No one. I mean, maybe your three-year-old's trying to figure that out, right? But when you're 40, you just go put them on. That's what I want. Here. I want to extend mercy that comes out of me. Not because that's what you're supposed to do, right? And the only way that happens, guys, is through godly practices that shape our wants and desires. 
I mean, you do this with exercise, do you not? If you exercise in this room, think about it. Just think about it for just a second. If you don't exercise in this room, just take a nap. Amen, I'll wake you back up here in just a second, all right? But if you exercise in this room, you have a vision. When you were young, you may have a vision. If you're a guy, of a six-pack. I don't know. You know, back in my day, yeah, that's one that six-pack, one to be cut. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm after. Well, as you get older and you mature, you realize that was stupid. That goes away, and you're satisfied with a one-pack. Amen? Amen? <laughs> right? Just as long as I got a belly. Amen? So, and so, yeah, I mean, you got a vision, right? So for me, I do. I run. This is what I've been doing since me and Kathy got married, basically. And my vision is not like, oh, I want to look a certain way. No, my vision is I want to be healthy. It's a way for me to kind of deal with some stress in my life. And then thirdly is that when I'm 70 and 80 years old, I want to play with my grandkids. I do. I want to run with them if I can. I can't control that. There could be something that happens to me where that doesn't make it reality. But I have learned, and I don't know this all about exercise. I'm not a kinesiologist or whatever they call those people. Uh, but I have learned this, that what you do now affects what you're going to be when you're 70 and 80 years old. And so if I want to run with my kids, I'm not waking up when I'm 70. <laughs> I'm going to go run a mile. Katonk, katonk, right? <laughs> it's like, I mean, nobody, I'm not trying to, yeah, nobody laughing at that one. But that's just reality, right? Like it happens now. And so there's a vision that then dictates godly, well, not godly, but just dictates practices, right? So I get up in the morning. And not every morning do I get up going, hallelujah, I get to run. Oh, right? It's just not, no, it's like, all right, I'm doing this because I got a vision ahead of me, and this is hard today. It's, I don't feel good. It's 30 degrees outside. I have no desire to go run 30-degree weather. Or 90 degrees, I mean, the two extremes are awful. It's no different when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Think about anxiety and worry. How do you, as a follower of Christ, be a non-anxious presence in a world that's freaking out? I mean, we are. We're a world, a culture that's extremely anxious. So how can not do different? Eventually you'll get to do, but how do you be different that leads to your do? What does Peter say? Cast your anxiety on him. Because I'm not trying to make a real simple, simple solution. Hey, if you just do that, then you'll know. I, no, I get anxiety and worry can be very paralyzing and very difficult to get through. So please hear me. I'm not trying to make light of this. I'm just trying to make a point here. And my point is this. That's not a one-time casting. Right? It's like fishing. Right? You ever take your kids fishing? It's not a one-time cast. Like, dude, you got to cast again. You got to cast again. You got to cast again. I know you're getting bored. Keep casting, right? Keep casting. You might need to change your bait, but it's a constant casting. And guess what? When you're 
consistently going to him and casting your anxieties on him that's called prayer and that's a godly practice and that godly practice that's happening day in and day out day in and day out is shaping and forming your loves to where in time in time not overnight this is a slow process jesus is not in a hurry you're safe with god he's not going come on you're on a time limit here no there's a lot of room But with that practice, it's shaping your loves, it's shaping your desires, it's, it's changing you. You're becoming an individual who's a non-anxious presence in a world that's full of anxiety. Sometimes I have people come to me and say, Lau, and I'm almost done here, I'm really struggling with jealousy. Tell me about your week. I don't know about you guys, but if you're spending an inordinate amount of time on social media, it ain't helping your jealousy. And I'm not trying to say, hey, you're not allowed to look at Instagram or Twitter. It's, it's sinful. It's not sinful. Sometimes the, the wrong question is, what's wrong with it or is this sinful? That's not a really good question. Here's a better question. Who am I becoming by participating in this practice? Who am I becoming by spending hours on social media? I'm telling you what, you'll get jealous. Because there's always someone else who's got it better than you. And that practice is doing something to you. That's what I'm trying to say. Jesus is not just after you checking a list off. He's not. He's after you being a totally different person. A vision, power of the Holy Spirit, godly practices in time slow process creates a whole new person in you only those who build their lives on the foundation of hearing and practicing what jesus says will stand so which house will you build let's pray So God, just help us, Lord. I don't want to create any unnecessary anxiety as this is this some kind of workspace Christianity because it's not, Lord. You're the one who empowers this work. You're the one who began this work in us and you will see to it that it is completed. And so God, take away any kind of false stuff out of our heads right now and help us to see and hear the invitation that you're bringing to us this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we end our service here, we end our service with communion, which is an opportunity for us to weekly reflect. It's a practice. It's a practice that's shaping us. Weekly reflect upon what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, to bring about this new life that he wants to create in us. And so if you're a Christian here, I ask you to come forward, break a piece of bread off, dip it in wine or juice, whichever your conscience permits. The wine is always marked by twine. Uh, but if you're not a Christian, then our encouragement for you is not to take this meal, but that you would reflect and think and take Christ, put your faith and trust in him. Uh, we have leaders that are in the back that would love to talk to you more about what that means. They were also there to kind of help pray with you about anything that may have been stirred in you as you've listened to this morning. So church, whenever you're ready to take communion, you can stand up and come forward.